Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. Today, we're thrilled to have on the show Josie Morris. A big reason that Michelle and I started this podcast was because we often hear from people who have totally different life experiences than us. And one thing that we hear all the time is what happens when someone becomes vegan and their spouse or partner is not vegan and may never become vegan. Yeah, it's hard for us to speak to that. My husband has been vegan for 10 years. Yeah, and my boyfriend has been vegan for 25 years. So we wanted to find the best person to speak on this subject who has been in a loving relationship, who is a vegan advocate, and who can totally explain this in a way that Michelle and I can't. Yes. And this episode with Josie is so inspiring. I feel like I gained a lot of knowledge just going through recording this episode, and I'm so excited for you all to listen to it. Yeah. Not only is she in a relationship with someone and married married to someone, but she co-parents with someone who's not vegan. And we think that that is so fascinating. Yep. She has two beautiful daughters and well, we won't give it all away just yet. We will let you guys listen to the show. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, who is a family-owned business that's right in our backyard in Santa Cruz, California, Cherryvale Farms. So I've been having a lot of friends staying over lately, and I love making fresh baked goods in the morning. It just smells so good throughout the whole house, so warm and comforting. And that is when I turn to Cherryvale Farms. Ain't nobody got time to be making fresh baked from scratch everything all the time. So Cherryville Farms makes these boxed baking mixes that are totally plant-based and you can quickly whip up things like blueberry muffins, peanut butter cookies, pumpkin bread, and it's delicious, especially perfect for the holidays. And I love how accessible they are. They are at 4,000 retail locations, such as Whole Foods and Safeway. You can also order directly online with free shipping, which I super love, at cherryfillfarms.com. So now, on to the show. Welcome, Josie. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you both so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Thank you. Where are you joining us from? I live in Chandler, Arizona, and I happen to be in my home office today, so... It's beautiful and sunny out and not 100 degrees, so that makes it a good day. Very cool. Uh, well, what is what is cool there? So what is the temperature? Oh, like 85. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect fall weather. <laughs> yeah, right? That's our fall weather. First, we'd like to start off uh, knowing a little bit about where you're from, the types of foods that you grew up eating, where your family lived. Sure. I'd be happy to tell you about my childhood. I'm originally from San Jose, California, so up in the Bay Area. Um, I grew up there, went to school there until I was, you know, 18. And then I moved to Arizona, where I went to Arizona State University, and I just never left. So I've been here for 22 years now. And I would say I definitely call Arizona home um, after living here more than half of my life. And I, my family is Hispanic. And I would say... Growing up, the majority of the food we ate was probably pretty typical of the 80s. Like we ate a lot of Hispanic foods, of course, but we ate a lot of like scrambled eggs and bacon for breakfast every day. I can remember very clearly that TV dinners were like a really big deal in my house. I don't know if that was a thing back then, but one night a week we would have our TV dinner nights and we'd all get our little TV trays out and pick our dish. And that was a really exciting night for me as a kid. That's awesome. Which shows were you watching? (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. You probably watched, you know, like Family Ties or uh, Charles in Charge, or I loved Punky Brewster. That was a great show. So when did you start caring more about food? You know, I would say, uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I didn't really like think about or care about food in any significant way until I became vegan, which wasn't until I was 25 years old. So prior to that, I think I really just thought of food as something you you have like you have to eat to survive and i can't really remember having favorite foods or really enjoying food to any extent i can remember in my early 20s you know living in apartments or with my now husband and cooking you know like a chicken dish or something and being really like disgusted that you have to cut the little veins out of the chicken breast and i, I very clearly remember that and that just thinking like oh, this is just a process of what we have to do to eat, not so much like a love affair with any kind of food in particular. But once I became vegetarian and vegan, that's when I really started to learn how to cook and just embrace food and different flavors and textures and all different varieties of fruits, vegetables, grains, even uh, like alternate, you know, meat alternates. I feel like that was a real turning point for me And it could have just been my age, you know, I was 25. So I was out on my own and having to learn how to cook for ourselves. So it kind of maybe was just all of that combined together. Yeah, I feel like that resonates with so many people like thinking about food for the first time when they're sort of changing their diet. I'm curious, growing up, did your family cook a lot? And was sort of the cultural foods made in your family? Was that part of your family's identity? I know, for a lot of people, what they grew up eating and what their family's making, their family dishes and family meals is just feels like part of their identity. So did you feel that way at all? Well, I wouldn't say that my parents really, we didn't like all cook together or anything like that. It was, I think, a very much more traditional house in that sense that like my mom did all the cooking and then we all sat down for dinner and then we ate dinner and then she cleaned everything up. So there wasn't really like family time spent making meals together or anything like that. But I do know for sure there are definitely dishes that my family made, like oboniga soup, or every year for Christmas, my grandmother would go to great extents to make tamales from scratch, you know, so making all the masa and then like having a whole assembly line and all of those are were pork-based tamales. I do remember that she would make little bean tamales and those were my favorites and I would usually eat those, but the majority of my family definitely ate the pork tamales. My dad had probably much more closer to foods, much closer to his roots. I can remember going with him to like Mexican markets when I was a kid and he uh, would pick up the occasional pickled pig's foot and eat that for a snack. Although we never ate those. It was sort of like, oh, that's dad's weird thing that he eats. But I think more along the lines of other more traditional things. Like we had tortillas at every meal, right? Like doesn't matter if you're eating scrambled eggs, you have a tortilla with it. Yeah, Tony just showed me how to make tamales and it was really fun. Plant-based tamales. (laughs) I also have a story about albondigas. My aunt for Christmas, when I first became vegan, I had been vegan for just a few months. She made vegetarian albondigas as a Christmas gift. And that's pretty common. A lot of times my family will make food as a gift and you can freeze it and have it for months. And she had made it vegetarian. And I knew because she had used Morningstar products and I decided to eat it anyway, because I was so so grateful. Yes. It was vegetarian and not vegan. Even though I had just become vegan, I decided to eat it anyway, because 
it was so thoughtful and it was vegetarian and she doesn't even know anything about vegetarian, but wanted to try and do something nice for you. Yeah. And, and as I've talked about before on our other episodes, my family communicates love through food, food sharing. And so I felt it would have been really mean if I, if I had uh, denied her food. And now they know what vegan is. I've taken the time to educate my family respectfully on what I eat and don't eat. But at that time, I definitely ate it. I love that. I feel like I would do the same. I mean, if someone goes to that extent and they care, like if someone cares that much about you to do something like that for you, absolutely. I think that's a beautiful gift that she gave you. Thank you. So when did you decide to become a vegetarian? Okay. So I have a pretty interesting, good story about this, I think. So I was 25 when I became vegetarian for a couple of years, maybe like two or three years prior to that. I found this stray dog outside of one of my, um, where I was working at the time. And he was this giant hound dog and he had like dog bites on his ears and he was really, really skinny. Like you could see his backbone and he was barking, barking, barking at me from behind a bush. And he had this rope around his neck that he had broken off like the other end and I guess escaped wherever he was. And, um, I thought, I'm just going to take this dog home. I don't know what I'm going to do with him. But you can guess the rest of the story. I kept him. He was my giant love affair for 13 years. He grew up to be the St. Bernard mix, this huge dog. And finding him, I got very involved in companion animal rescue. I would say as a kid, I have always loved animals. But, you know, as probably most people love animals, I didn't really give much thought as to like what was happening to dogs and cats if they didn't have homes or what was happening to wildlife or what we were eating. It was just, I love my pets. I love animals. I considered myself an animal lover. But once I found Zeus, that dog, it really opened my eyes to the fact that there at that time was 30 million dogs and cats being euthanized every single year. And I I just thought, how can this be? Like, this is America. We have all the resources in the world. How is this possible? And so I, at that time, had a lot of time on my hands. I was young, you know, just had a job, not a family or anything. So I devoted a ton of my time to companion animal rescue. And um, I was working at this healthcare company in web development. And um, a coworker would come over to me, and we would talk about dogs and this and that. And then she said, "You know, I'm going to bring you some of my some of the eggs from my cage free chickens. You know, that I raise in my backyard, and I love my chickens and." I'm going to bring you some eggs. I have more eggs than I can possibly eat. So I'm thinking, okay, this is great. She brings me these farm fresh eggs from her backyard and I go home and I, I just boiled them because I thought, well, I'm just going to boil them and we'll eat them as like hard boiled eggs. So I, I go to crack one open, maybe like that day or the next day. And it was literally a baby chick inside. Oh my oh, gosh. Oh God. Yeah. It was so startling to me, which when I look back on it, it's so odd. Like I was 25. How had I never thought about what an egg could be? You know, like how would I never thought of that? I don't, I don't know. It's the cognitive dissonance between what we eat and where it comes from is so vast. And I just really remember thinking like, oh, that's weird. I mean, I could see the little black eye. I could see the you know, the wing forming, it was a very obvious chick. And I just sort of like put, you know, threw it in the trash can and thought, hmm, that's really weird. That's gross. But what happened was that image was totally imprinted on my brain. And to this day, you know, 15 years later, I can see it clear as day. And so as the days went on, I just kept thinking, that's not right. That's not right. Like, 
what, how is this a chick and this egg? And I really started to, that was the catalyst for me to start to investigate what am I eating? Where's it coming from? How's this happening? And um, I learned very quickly through a PETA Helping Animals 101 conference where our food comes from. And once I came home from that conference, I, I didn't feel like it was the ethically right thing to do to throw away all the animal products I had in my house. But I very consciously decided like, we're going to eat what we have and I, I'm not going to buy anymore, you know, at, at least meat at that time. And I, I've never had meat since. So at that time, paint us a picture of where you were in your life. Who were you living with? Did that choice of yours affect anyone else? Did anyone else see that egg? And were they horrified or were they just like going back to their scramble the next morning? So at that time, I was living with my, he was then my boyfriend, Jason, who is now my husband. And we had our own little house in Chandler, Arizona here as well. We both had professional jobs and, you know, we were kind of doing the young college graduate thing. Like you go to your work, you work eight to six, you come home, you do the same thing the next day. And I'm sure he saw the egg, but clearly it didn't impact him the way that it impacted me. He grew up on a farm in Nebraska. So I think a lot of those things are not as shocking to him as, as they were to me. Cause of course I grew up in a city and wasn't exposed to those types of things. And when you decided I'm not going to eat this anymore, or I'm going to go vegetarian, how did he respond to that? You know, he is a really amazing person. And the reason why we're still together over 20 years later is because we do really have a mutual respect for one another. I mean, you can imagine how much people change over 20 years, right? I'm not the same person I was when I met him and nor is he the same person he was when I met him that much time ago. I think very much he was like, all right, well, if that's something you want to do, I, I support you hundred percent. He wasn't by any means jumping on the bandwagon to become vegetarian, but he has always and continues to be to this day, very supportive of me choosing to do that. So I think for a long time, we just really made separate dishes. If we were going to make, you know, some type of I don't know, casserole, right? We would make like part of it would be mine without the chicken and then part of it would be his with the chicken. And at first, did you feel comfortable? So probably he, he would feel comfortable cooking you a, a vegan meal, but would you feel comfortable cooking chicken on the side for him if you were doing the cooking? No, I still don't. People, it's funny. In my work, I speak to lots of groups of students and I often have women, especially on university campuses, when I will tell them my story, they'll say, well, what do you make for your husband? And I just think that's the oddest question. I mean, now it's 2018. Like, I don't feel any obligation to serve him meat if that is ethically against what I feel is appropriate. So he never expected that. I never did it. And it was fine. And yes, he always felt comfortable. You know, I think we both had to learn how to cook. I, I will admit that before that, I probably didn't know how to cook anything. I mean, I basically ate Hormel chili out of a can, right? So it wasn't like there was some massive culinary exploration going on in our kitchen to begin with. So we both, I think, learned a lot about food and how to prepare food and how to enjoy food and cook food. So no, I, I don't remember ever cooking him meals with meat in them. And I still don't today. I bet you a lot of people, a, a good number of them at least in our audience are in a similar position to you whose spouse is not a vegetarian or a vegan. Are there any tips that you could give that make that transition easier when you're so certain about a lifestyle choice for yourself, but uh, the person that you're sharing your home with and your life with is not on board? Sure. I think it's for, by far the majority of people. A lot of people I talk to are either 
children in a situation where their parents aren't necessarily on board or people like me where their spouse is not on board. I think especially for people that are newly transitioning to a plant-based lifestyle or a vegan lifestyle, like I would consider myself vegan. I'm an ethical vegan. I choose not to eat animal products because I don't want to contribute to the suffering of animals. Of course, there's a health benefits, there's the environmental benefits. Those are great too. But for me, it's to reduce the suffering. So I think when we first come to that realization, we expect everyone else to have that same exact realization right away. And when they don't, we're disappointed, right? Like we can't help but be disappointed. Like, why didn't you get it just as fast as I got it? And I've really learned over time that we can't have that expectation. Like we really need to meet people where they're at. So I think Jason, my husband, is a really good example of what we could hope for from people that are non-vegan, right? So I think the first thing is just tempering your expectation because I think it leads to a lot of frustration and anxiety and even hate. You know, like you can start to hate that other person because they're not experiencing that same sense of sadness and suffering that you do when you sit down and eat food or see them eat animal products. So I think the first thing is just don't have that expectation. We can't control other people. You can't control what they're going to do. And when you do put that frustration and angst on things, all you're doing is causing yourself more suffering, right? So you've got to be able to let that go and just meet people where they're at. But I do think it helps a lot to have that mutual respect. So sometimes people will say, oh, well, that sounds great, but that person isn't respecting what I'm eating. And you just have to be confident in your choices, you know, be really you don't have to be overtly shoving things down other people's throats or trying to force them to see things the way that you see them, but just say, okay, well, we respectfully agree to disagree and I'm going to eat my food here and you can eat your food here and try and just reduce the amount of influence that that food has on that relationship. If that person is, is really not going to be excited or not going to be motivated to make those changes that you are. Yeah, that's something Michelle and I have talked a lot about on the podcast and and in general on our channels is that you can influence people just by being a really good ambassador for veganism and being kind. And if someone chooses to pursue more plant-based eating, you can be a resource to them and they can feel comfortable reaching out to you because you've always been kind. And for my family, for example, they are pretty set in their ways and have made it very clear that they're not going to be vegan. But every time we go out and eat and my dad orders a a vegetarian option, I am so thrilled because I know that 10 years ago, it would have been a meat option. And so I'm just so over the moon every time he chooses a vegetarian option ever. I love that. And I think that's a great, a good, I don't know if expectation is the right word, but a reasonable thing to hope for, right? So like Jason, for instance, you know, he, he's aware of everything I'm aware of. He's aware of the animal welfare issues. He's aware of the health concerns. He's aware of the environmental issues that surround meat production. And yet I don't think he's likely to ever give up meat completely. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Of course, I wish and hope and dream that he does someday, but in the meantime, I'm not going to give him a hard time for that. Like I said, he grew up in Nebraska where his family still raises several hundred head of cattle. They have thousands of acres of soy and cornfields. For him, eating meat is like so heavily tied to his identity, probably like just as strongly as being vegan is tied to mine. So I can't 
like remove that from him, you know? But what I can say he's done is that he has drastically changed from eating meat, like you said, like your dad, at every single meal to eating vegan food like two thirds of the time, right? And so that's that's a giant win. If he continued to eat meat at every single meal, that would be really different than only eating meat maybe one third or less of the time. And that's what's like realistic and that's what's doable for him. And I try to think about it like if everybody, if that's a reasonable thing that people could do, whatever they can do, if, let's just say if everybody could only eat meat one third of the time, we'd be saving 6 billion animals a year, right? So it does not have to be an all or nothing. And we should not expect people to jump on board or not jump on board in a all or nothing type of fashion, you know, is sort of be like saying to people, you know, I really think you should never drive your car again, right? Like, some people could probably say, okay, I can do that, you know, but a lot of people, the vast majority of us wouldn't, would not be able to do that. But if someone said to me, Hey, um, maybe instead of driving your car, you know, half a mile to the gym where you work out every day, you could walk or ride your bike instead. Like, Oh yeah, I totally can do that. Right. So I think, I think it's definitely in tempering our expectations and not judging people if they're not in the same place that we are. Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's interesting. I've been vegetarian since I was eight years old and my husband now is vegan. He's been vegan the whole time we've been together. But up until that point and all through college, everyone I had ever dated was an omnivore. I never even considered, like the thought never even crossed my mind of like looking for someone who was aligned in eating habits to me to date. And it's interesting now, like we're in such a different world where people could have the choice of like, hmm, I'm actively dating. I'm going to go on this little veggie date site. Like people are trying to decide in their heads right now, do I need to find a partner who's on the same page with me as this? And that's so fascinating to me because before it was just not something that anyone would have considered. It was so not common that that wasn't even a choice. But also like, I mean, being vegan is is one element of how we choose to exercise our ethics. And there's a million different elements out there. Like, do you buy clothes from Target? Like, those probably aren't created super ethically. Like, I do. Like, there's so many places where we're not all quite there and perfect yet (laughs) or will ever be. So trying to evaluate someone based on the choices that they're making is... Yeah, it's just closing the door to a lot of, I don't know, love, connection with people and just meeting people where they're at. But I really want to dig into this because I think it is very much a conflict in people's minds about really that question. I think a lot of people are wondering, do I need to find someone who's aligned with this or can I find someone who's not quite in the same place in terms of food choices and sort of animal ethics and choices and stuff? And so I want to know, like, how do you feel? Because you dedicate a lot of your life to, inspiring people to make positive food choices and really bettering the world on on that element and I like I know for me I had no qualms being in relationships with people who are not at all vegetarian and just didn't get it but being with Dan who's vegan it is easier like it's just easier on parts of my heart because I don't there's just a little piece of something not aligned that's not there so can you dig into like just those the rawness of those feelings Sure. And I love how you told that story so completely. So, I mean, you know, I'm 40. When I was 20 years old, there wasn't, there was no online dating. (laughs) There was no, I mean, I met my husband in a bar, right? Like (laughs) we were, I was in college and we went to this bar and uh, my friend met his friend and that's how people used to meet each other. There was no 
like vegan subculture that I was aware of or would have even known about, right? So I think for me, I really look at him as a whole person, right? So he's a really wonderful father. He's amazing with our daughters. He's a very responsible person. He's a very, if you need someone to be there, he will be there 100% of the time. He would do anything for us. He's a very good caregiver when you're sick. I mean, there's so many other attributes to a person aside from what they eat that I try to focus on him as a whole person. and. Of course, I wish he was on board in the same type of thinking that I am in this regard. But what I can appreciate is that he understands it and he's somewhat there. So maybe someday he'll get there, but I don't have the expectation that he will. Because if I do have that expectation and he doesn't get there, I'm only going to be disappointed. And I don't think you can continue to expect someone to do something they may never do, right? And that goes with, you know, marriage in general. I mean, When you're with someone for such a very long time, there are so many issues that you are going to agree or disagree on. And when you change as a person over time, either you choose to stay together and love and appreciate the components of each other that you do value and maybe let go of some of the ones that you don't. I mean, when we met, when I became vegan, vegetarian, we already owned a house together. We had been together for several years. We used to run a lot and we would like run a half marathon and go to Chili's and eat like a half rack of ribs, right? So that was normal for our relationship. I changed while part of this relationship. He's changed while part of this relationship in lots of other ways, right? So I think that's kind of more of a question of a relationship standing the test of time. It just so happens that in our relationship, this could be for some people a very drastic change, right? Depending on how you look at it. But you said like the kind of raw emotion. Okay, I'll tell you this story. I'm not proud of it. But like the other day we were decorating outside for the holidays, my little girls and I, and he was like, all right, I got to run an errand, which to me always means we don't keep meat in our house. We don't cook meat in our house. So when he says he's got to like run an errand by himself on the weekend, like ding, 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 high red flag goes up. Yeah, he's going to stop and get like in and out burger or something. And we don't talk about it. I don't really want to know, whatever. He doesn't do it. It's very rare, maybe like a few times a year, right? So he said this the other day. And then we spent the whole time out. We're decorating. He goes to Home Depot, runs his other, you know, quote unquote errands, whatever they are. And he comes back and he was like, wow, your decorations look really nice. But, you know, you guys didn't clean up all of your stuff. You left the bins out front and, you know, you need to finish the job. Like, clean up your stuff and put them in the bins and put it back in the garage. And I just totally was like, look, we were outside getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, decorating for the holidays while you were out eating in and out burger. So you just need to put the bins away. (laughs) And, you know, it's a very small example, but I'm not proud of it. But of course those things weigh on me. Like, do I wish he wouldn't do that? Yes, but he's a human and he's going to do it. And he only does it a few times a year. So maybe I should cut him some slack on that. Does that mean I don't have those raw emotions? No, I still do. Of course I'm human. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting because we look at our friends and our family and these are relationships that whatever we align with people or love people. And we don't tend to have the same expectations on them that we do as our partner. And I don't know what it is about our need to like control or like be perfectly aligned with the person that we're sharing our lives with. But 
just like we give our friends and our family the space and respect to make their own choices and, and lead their own lives. Like, I think it's really beautiful to be able to give your partner that same, that same respect and to not like need to exercise sort of control over, over their decisions. And I also look at like my family who were uh, not, not at all, you know, particularly animal lovers or uh, on the plant-based path whatsoever. My mom is super health minded. So she ended up going mostly plant-based and then my dad would take whatever food we made and throw meat on it and everything and just did not get it. Wouldn't watch documentaries, didn't want to hear the information, none of it, even though I was like this little activist since age eight. But then like one of his coworkers went like stopped consuming dairy and mentioned how his doctor was supportive of it. And that's all it took him like to hear from someone who was not so close to him, like the positive effects. And then suddenly he was like buying almond milk and stuff. And I'm like, what? (laughs) But like he had to hear those seeds from you for all those years to then, this is great. I love this. Then he had to be in a place where he was able to like process it and make that change for himself. So that's what I mean. Like we can't go around expecting everyone to be in the same cognitive space that we are at this very moment. They may not, they may have 10,000 other things that are stressing them out in their life and they're not able to be open to the information and digest it and be able to make that change with it. You know, everybody is really at their own step in their path of life. And despite the fact that you were there and encouraging him all along the way, he just wasn't at that pivotal moment where he was able to make the change. So you have two beautiful little girls. How is that co-parenting with someone who eats meat? Yeah, that's a great question. People ask us that all the time. And honestly, it's really easy. So I I am really happy that we don't have meat in our house. Um, We did for a few years after I was, well, for a long time after I was vegetarian. And finally, the situation was his dad would send him a huge stash of Omaha steaks every year at Christmas. And it would take him all year long to get through these things. Like, not that there was that many, but he just didn't eat them that much, right? And so we would always have, in my mind, dead animals sitting in our freezer. And it was like horrifying to me. But again, you know, he lives here too. It's his house. And so a few years ago, he finally said to his dad, like, Hey dad, please don't send them. I don't want them anymore. We don't eat them. And I think also back to our previous conversation, small steps like that, I appreciate them a thousand percent more because it means so much, right? So now we totally don't have any meat in our house, which is amazing. And he is very on board with raising our daughters without eating meat. I will say with our kids, we have Sammy who's seven years old. And then we have Natalie who's 10 months old. I also don't feel like I'm going to be able to control them their entire lives. Like that's a complete and total fallacy. If I do my job well as a parent, my kiddos will be able to become adults and take care of themselves and become contributors to the world, right? Like that's as a successful parent, you have to give them wings to fly. So we present food as in like, here's what we eat at home. Here's what we cook. Sammy, of course, she's seven. So she's much older. She's very on board with like loving animals and visiting cows. And she loves pigs and is very aware of the fact that food comes from animals. But still, I would give her the opportunity to choose, right? If there were a situation and she wanted to try and choose and eat something like it's her life, it's her body. She knows everything I've told her. I have to allow her the freedom to choose. Anyhow, that being said, we've never given them meat. They've never had meat. And Jason is is very supportive of that. He never has like brought meat home and he's never said, hey, here, try this chicken. 
if anything, it's to the reverse. So now the only time he really eats meat is like, if we go out to eat, he'll maybe order a dish. Although a lot now he's been ordering dishes without me. Isn't that great? But he still occasionally will order a dish with some meat. And like, if, if Sammy wants a bite of his dish, he'll be like, no, no, don't take that, that piece like that has chicken in it or something. So I would say he's definitely more on board with them being vegetarian, even though he's not, which is interesting. And he's always been super supportive. He's never, never said like, oh, they have to have animal products. But again, he's a smart, well-educated person. He knows everything I know in terms of the health issues surrounding plant-based foods and I mean, meat products and animal products. So yeah, honestly, it really hasn't been a challenge or a problem. All the food we make at home for family dinners is all vegan. So that part has been fairly easy. And you mentioned that you educate Sammy. What do you feel comfortable telling a seven-year-old about animal products? I tell her everything. (laughs) So I know some people may not be of that same mindset, but I very much have, we very much both feel that open communication is really important with kids. And we never treated Sammy as like a little child. We've always treated her as a human, right? a human with the same respect that you would give an adult, of course, they need more guidance and boundaries and help doing things. But whether it comes to like learning about sex or learning about where your food comes from or learning about anything, how a wafer is built that goes into your computer, we just tell it to her like it is. And kids don't have, they don't have the baggage that adults do, right? So you can just explain to them matter-of-factly that, hey, eggs you buy at the store come from chickens who are locked in cages that cannot spread their wings. And kids will just, they don't have all the baggage associated with whether that's like, you know, socially acceptable or not socially acceptable, or do you talk about that or do you not talk about it? They just say, wow, that's, that's not right. That's mean. That's mean to the chickens. I don't want, I don't want to do that to chickens. You know, I think if you're just honest with them and you present it in a way that they can understand most children are very compassionate to animals and they would choose not to harm them. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I just had an article published on World of Vegan by the founders of Raising Little Vegans. And the article is called Why We Raise Our Kids 99% Vegan. And I think it's super fascinating because as someone who is fully vegan myself, my husband's vegan, we want to be parents one day even with that amount of just vegan everything in our life, like we're in a very vegan friendly area, just there's so many challenges with raising kids perfectly vegan. And they talk about going to birthday parties and like kids don't, when they're little, two, three, they don't understand why they can't have, you know, dairy or eggs or, you know, why they can't have cake at a birthday party. Are you going to bring them a separate cake every time you go to a birthday party? Are they going to be the weird kid that's left out? Like there's so many things that come into parenting and trying to kind of moderate what your kiddos are eating, especially when they're not always like in your control. (laughs) So I think what kind of living in that balance that I think a lot of people are being perhaps vegan with a partner who's not and little kiddos and trying to decide what how, how to raise them. I think the perspective that that you're sharing of just being open and honest and teaching them values and teaching them truths and giving them a foundation where they'll be able to ultimately make their own decisions and not feel like anything was forced upon them, but just feeling inspired by their awesome parents <laughs> is really beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And the truth is, 
while people might feel like they can control, like I can control Natalie. She's 10 months old. She's only going to eat what I put on her plate. But there will come a point when she's four or five, five, she goes to kindergarten. There's all kinds of snacks in those classrooms. There's a little snack bar where they can go up and get nacho cheese Doritos. You know, there's going to be all kinds of food available to your kids after a certain age that you you absolutely will not be able to control them. And I would probably bet that most kids are going to go to school and maybe eat something that's not vegan, but then they will feel like they can't tell you about it. And so I don't ever want to create that situation where my girls feel like they can't talk to me about anything, right? I want them to be able to talk to me about everything. I want them to see me as the knowledgeable resource with the accurate information. So if they want to have that experience and try some nacho cheese Doritos, you know, go ahead and try those nacho cheese Doritos. I'm not going to buy them for you. But if you want to save up your allowance and you want to buy those nacho cheese Doritos and try them out, like, sure. And here's, you know, you know where cheese comes from, you know, where all these things come from and you can make that decision. We have to prepare them with tiny decisions like this, because what are they going to do when they're 16 and driving a car and they have to make a decision about you know, someone's walking in the crosswalk and do they go or not go, right? Like we have to prepare them all along the way for bigger and bigger decisions in their life. Yeah, that's so true. So a lot of what Tony and I try and do on this podcast and one of the reasons why we created it was to have just really open dialogue about different ways of approaching food and eating and aligning our our values with our choices and all of that and fighting this idea of perfection and this judgmental vegan concept that's sort of been spreading like wildfire. And I'm curious, since you do spend so many, so much time around other people who are fully plant-based, fully vegan, have you received judgment for your parenting techniques or parenting styles or, oh my gosh, you're not raising your kids perfectly vegan? Do you get any of that and how do you handle it? Yeah, that's a good question. The majority of my friends are vegan and the majority of my friends do not have kids. So it's, it's interesting, but I mean, I would say of all my vegan friends, none of them have young kids. It just seems to be a thing. I think a lot of vegans are also very concerned about the environment. And so there's a very big like antenatal sentiment where a good portion of the vegan population feels like it's maybe irresponsible to have children because it's creating more detrimental impact on the environment. So I would say I have felt that maybe more so than, oh, my kid ate, you know, birthday cake at a birthday cake party. And then on the other end of the spectrum, of course, we're surrounded by tons and tons of families and parents through our kids' activities like soccer or Girl Scouts or whatever else where, you know, there's not one other vegan around. I'm really, really lucky to work at the Humane Society of the United States where the majority of people on our farm animal protection team are vegan. We work day in and day out the majority of the time with people that are not vegan. And our work is very much on encouraging people to do what they can. So I feel like we're, we're more used to it. Like we have more of a tolerance or acceptance of people maybe not doing everything 100% perfectly, right? We're not, we, we recognize that we live in an imperfect world. I do know there are lots of other organizations or lots of other groups of friends that are all or nothing. But I mean, if people think there's some perfect level of attaining perfection in the vegan world, I mean, they're sorely mistaken. There really is no such thing. Actually, I was just um, reading an article about avocados. Tony, I don't know if you saw this, but I know how much you love avocados. And someone brought this up to me the other day. They were like, oh, I read this article about 
bees pollinating avocados and maybe avocados aren't vegan anymore. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm going to rain on your vegan parade here about avocados, but apparently they truck in, you know, hundreds of thousands of bees from other places like Louisiana or somewhere else to California to pollinate like avocado trees and uh, almond trees when they're, when they need them to be pollinated so that they grow. And then when they harvest the crop, the bees basically are like forced into starvation because there's nothing left for them to eat. And so this question has come up, like, basically, is any food that needs pollination vegan if bees are suffering? Because we have like a bee issue. We don't have enough honeybees to pollinate. So we're, we're moving these bees around. Is that humane or not humane to the bees? And then if they are forced into starvation once the crop is harvested, is that truly a vegan crop? So, I mean, if you think about the nutrients that are put on the soil of the foods that we're eating, like those could be, it could be like feces from animals or other different parts of animal bone meal from animals that is spread out on crops to grow them. So even if you're eating a stalk of broccoli, it may have had influence from animal agriculture to grow that stalk of broccoli. So at what line do you draw that perfectionism, right? Like at what point do you say, yes, this is perfect but you're not perfect because you eat honey or something. You know, it's a really slippery slope. There is no level of perfect perfection to attain, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. We have so many so many debates coming up about like, is sugar vegan because it's processed with bone char? And, and I always bring it back to what you just said, like our crops are grown in, in manure and in fish blood. And in like, you almost can't get, if you have plants in your house, the soil has animal products in it. Like it's impossible to be perfect. Yeah, I recently had this huge drama on the Plant Based on a Budget Instagram where people were upset with me because I posted a photo of frozen avocados from the company Welch's at the store Walmart. And I was called not vegan for several different reasons. One, because I shop at Walmart. Two, because I promote a company that also has non-vegan products and more. And I made a video response asking people what they thought it looked like to non-vegans who were just stepping into this world of plant-based eating. What, like, How does it affect them if someone who's been vegan for over 10 years who dedicates their life to promoting veganism, if they can't be vegan enough for the vegan police? Like, It just seems so difficult and like it's not achievable. And it's so funny because when you took that picture, we were at Walmart filming a video for plant-based news about how to shop vegan at Walmart for people who shop there on a super tight budget. So like you're literally taking this picture while being an, a vegan advocate for the world while other people are leaving messages on Instagram posts, sitting in their home doing nothing to help the world. It's just so funny. Yeah, I hear you. You know, I just don't really have time for haters. Like I spend my entire life trying to make this world a better place. And if someone wants to sit from their couch seat and tell me I'm not doing enough, then maybe they should find a different way to spend their time. You know? Well, we so appreciate your positive attitude and all the good that you bring into this world. As a way to wind down the episode, we would love to hear what resources that you'd give to somebody who is very new to plant-based eating. Oh, there's so many great ones. Let's see for people that are new. You know, honestly, I love um, this podcast that you're doing and I do follow your Instagram feed. And I did watch that video 
about um, the shopping at Walmart. And I remember thinking when you had that bag of avocados, like, oh my gosh, there's frozen avocados. Like, I don't go to Walmart. I'm going to have to go there to get them. (laughs) So, you know, and I've been vegan for over a decade. Um, So there are people that do appreciate what you're doing. And it's probably just the other facet of folks that are maybe a little more vocal about it. But I definitely think you guys put out some through World of Vegan and Plant Based on a Budget. You have some of the best resources available. For me, I got a couple of cookbooks that were really fantastic to me. Um, Colleen Patrick Goudreau has some amazing ones. I think one of my first cookbooks was The Joy of Vegan Baking, which is, you know, of course, people always ask like, oh, how do you make baked goods? And there's like every kind of baked good you could imagine in there. And they're all delicious. That's also my favorite, favorite cookbook of all time. Yeah, I love it too. And I shot the cover photo on there. You did? Well, the new one with Colleen on there. Yeah. I love it. it. And we initially met through Colleen's event, actually. And that was awesome. That's right. We did. (laughs) We're Colleen groupies. Um, Of course, her podcast is wonderful too. I think her podcast is fantastic about sort of the emotional, mental issues surrounding veganism. Like a lot of these questions of how do I deal with other people and things like that. So I think definitely getting some really great cookbooks, finding a few dishes of food that you can make really, really well. And those are your go-to dishes when you're having people over or when you go to a potluck or when you need to bring food to you know, the brownie meeting or something like that, because you'll want to make sure that the food that you're bringing is really good and really delicious and not something like way out of left field, like find a couple of comfort foods that everybody can relate to. So like you guys said, you can always be that ambassador for being the friendly vegan who is bringing some really new and interesting food to the people that you're with that are most likely non-vegans. Some other things is I just think one of the hardest for me, I think in being an ethical vegan, the hardest thing is being the vegan in the non-vegan world, right? Like we can really get inside our own heads and, and just really focus on the horrors and the sadness and the suffering and the fact that when other people are eating animal products or even just talking about what they made for dinner last night, that what we're hearing and what we're seeing in our minds is all the suffering and torture and pain and death that went into their pleasure, right? Like they're deriving pleasure out of something that we find so painful. So I think it's a little bit of developing like a thick skin around that because we are going to have to exist and live in this non-vegan world unless we create some kind of I don't know, (laughs) place where all the vegans can go and live, which probably is not healthy for us anyways, right? Vegan commune. (laughs) Commune, yeah. But that probably wouldn't be so healthy for us, right? I mean, it's good to be out in the world. It's good to be able to inspire people that are, are, or enlighten them if they're not in the same space that we are. So I think a really other important necessary part to, to stay in the course and and living this lifestyle is to develop that thick skin a little bit, which is the hardest for people who are first transitioning to this. Because once you become aware of this, you feel like, I got to let everybody else know about that. And surely you do need to let everybody else know about that, but you know, with tempered expectations in, in what you think they might be able to achieve. I think that's really helpful. I think that is fantastic advice. And we are so grateful that you came on our episode. Yeah. Do you have any final inspiring words you'd love to share with those listening? Sure. For the people that are, you know, new to this, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound like people are never going to change or that's not going to happen. I guess I should maybe mention that 
I do see so much change every single day um, in my work through the Humane Society. I work with like school districts and universities and hospitals all over the country. And you'll find in the strangest places when you would never expect it. Like I went to Laramie, Wyoming, where I thought, we'll see how this goes to do a training for two days with food service people there at the university. And we literally passed like hundreds of cows along the way to the university thinking, well, we'll see how this goes here. And after two days, they were so passionate and so excited about serving plant-based foods. They already had a slew of ideas for their catering departments where they cater events that they could do all vegan. They did a whole food display for their students. One of the participants who is a food service worker actually cried the second day and said, you know, I really, I just didn't know this. I didn't know that what we're eating impacted our health. I didn't know that, you know, type two diabetes could be related to lifestyle factors and that I might actually be able to influence that with the food that I eat. So before we judge everyone and thinking that everybody is like a horrible human being, if they're not vegan, we should really think about the fact that maybe they just don't know. And a lot of people, once they do know, they then feel really inspired and really, they feel a sense of agency to be able to do something. So I see a lot of people who maybe have worked in the same minimum wage job for, you know, 30 years and they don't feel a lot of agency over their life. They don't feel like they have a lot of control over things. They don't, they haven't even necessarily had educational opportunities. And I'm able to come to them and say, like, look, here's, I can tell you about the environment. I can tell you about animal welfare. I can tell you about human health. And how can I help you improve your life for yourself and for the people that you're serving food to? And people are changing all over the country. It's absolutely incredible to see. And we hear stories all the time, every day of people not only making changes in their own lives, but people who are in a position to influence food for hundreds or thousands of other people making those changes for those thousands of meals that they're serving as well. That's so beautiful. So inspiring. Thank you so much for all the work that you do to make plant-based food more accessible for everyone and to sort of get into the systems and change it. You're making such a huge impact through your work. And Tony and I are so honored that you joined us on the podcast today. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so honored to have been on your podcast. I can't thank you both enough. Thanks, Josie. Aw, that was awesome. Yeah, I am so excited that now when we have someone asking us this question, we have a really wonderful resource to send them. Me too. We get this question all the time. And for all of those listening, I hope this helped you. Thank you guys so much for joining us here today. As always, we hope that you will subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on the future episodes. And if you leave us a review, we'd love that. And until next time, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.